0: This is CPX number 49, As We Forgive Them. We are in prayer, part 7 in the Catechism of Pope St. Pius X, page 52 in the Eternal Press Edition, question and answer number 31 to 33. God give you his peace, omni patri patris, et spiritus santi, amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit, Spirit of Truth, who art present everywhere and filling all things, treasure of all good and source of all life, come dwell in us, cleanse us, and save us you who are all good. Amen. In nomine patris, ifiti, et santi. Amen. Question number 31. What do we ask in the fifth petition, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us? Answer in the fifth petition, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. We ask God to pardon us our sins as we pardon those who offend us. Question number 32, why are our sins called debts? Answer, our sins are called debts because we must satisfy God's justice for them either in this life or in the next. Question number 33, can those who do not forgive their neighbor hope that God will pardon them? Answer, those who do not forgive their neighbor have no reason to hope that God will pardon them, especially since they condemn themselves when they ask God to forgive them as they forgive their neighbor. So much for the words of the Holy Pope. Today's CPX is obviously on forgiveness of others, since this section is on the Our Father, where we pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I'm sure you know that the most supreme example of this, of forgiveness in all of human history, is Jesus on the cross when he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's in Luke chapter 23. It reads, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So think about that line. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let's look a little bit at the theology behind forgiveness, both how God forgives us our sins and how we're called to forgive others. You know, a lot of people today who don't know the first thing about moral theology, somehow they've all memorized that for something to be a mortal sin, it must be grave and done with full knowledge and done with full consent of the will. Now, while that is true, it's missing a couple things on the bigger picture of moral theology, and we owe this to God and our own souls to look at this. First of all, for the modernist, ignorance is a pass for sin. But for the church fathers, ignorance was a symptom or effect of sin. Let me say that again. For the church fathers, ignorance is not a pass to do what you want, but it's a sign you're on the wrong track. Secondly, this idea that sin is only what you know to be wrong, it's so hyper-subjective that it also leads out the fact that in a real world, there's real effects to what we do, whether you meant to or not. I mean, if you accidentally got drunk and went out and killed in your car a family of five, You can't say, well, that wasn't a mortal sin because I didn't know how strong the drink I was drinking was. But let's go back to that line, Father forgive them for they know not what they do. A lot of people today would look at that and say, well, why in the world would Jesus pray for them to be forgiven if they didn't know what they were doing? Well, the church's moral theology delineates between invincible ignorance and vincible ignorance. Invincible ignorance is when there is no way you could have known the truth on a moral matter. Invincible ignorance is when you could have known the truth of a moral issue, but you chose not to research it. You chose not to get on your knees. So maybe that's what Jesus means when he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, that they could have known who they were crucifying. They could have known they were crucifying the Son of God, but purposefully chose not to pray about who Jesus was or study the scriptures to see that he was truly the miraculous suffering servant. So they still had to be forgiven, even if they didn't know. Maybe because they didn't have the love in their hearts to even research the truth. So also today, even with all the false information out there, which, yeah, might reduce culpability since a lot of people are hearing the wrong information, even from Catholics who should be teaching the right way, people still do have the chance to study all the truths of the church and the state. And so you might not get this pass from God just because there's certain priests or bishops who've taught you wrongly. At least I wouldn't want to hang my hat on the hook of invincible ignorance if I'm not sure I have it. So maybe you do get a pass. I'm not your judge. But you should be aware that even the new Catechism of the Catholic Church released under Pope John Paul II made very clear this delineation between vincible ignorance and invincible ignorance. That's found in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, CCC, 1790-1793. to 1793. I'll read you that section. Quote, a human being must always obey the certain judgment of his conscience, If he were deliberately to act against it, he would condemn himself. Yet it can happen that moral conscience remains in ignorance and makes erroneous judgments about acts to be performed or already committed. This ignorance can often be imputed to personal responsibility. This is the case when a man takes little trouble to find out what is true and good, or when conscience is, by degrees, almost blinded through the habit of committing sin. In such cases, the person is culpable for the evil he commits. Ignorance of Christ and his gospel, bad example given by others, enslavement to one's passions, assertion of a mistaken notion of autonomy of conscience, rejection of the church's authority and her teaching, lack of conversion and of charity, these can be at the source of errors of judgment and moral conduct. If, on the contrary, the ignorance is invincible, or the moral subject is not responsible for his erroneous judgment, the evil committed by the person cannot be imputed to him. It remains no less an evil, a privation, a disorder. One must therefore work to correct the errors of moral conscience, end quote. So the key thing to remember right there is that you're still guilty before God for acting in ignorance when you, quote, take little trouble to find out what is true and good or when conscience is by degrees almost blinded through the habit of committing sin, end quote. But I tend to think that when Jesus says of those crucifying him, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do, maybe they are guilty precisely for that, not finding out who Christ was. St. Bernard said this, when you cannot excuse the action itself, make an excuse for the intention, if possible, by ignorance or carelessness. St. Bernard, when you cannot excuse the action itself, make an excuse for the intention, if possible, by ignorance or carelessness. So, we're called to do that quite literally, because our Lord said in Matthew 7, quote, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? End quote. So, most of you are probably familiar with that famous parable in Matthew 18 of the two people in debt. One owes over 6,000 denarii, and the other 100 denarii. If you're not familiar, take a look in Matthew 18. So this one worker is in this huge debt and is forgiven by his own superior, but then he turns around and can't even cancel the small debt that a little worker owes him. Let's talk the numbers in that Bible passage. Denarius was an ancient form of currency, and all that's important to know mathematically is that 6,000 denarii is worth about 20 years of work. So with the average American income being about 63,000 a year, that would mean $1.2 million was forgiven him. That's what worker number one was forgiven, according to modern terms, $1.2 million. Now, 100 denarii was only 100 days wages. So in modern terms, the worker number two, if he was also making $63,000 a year, that amount only comes to $17,000. Okay, so put all this together. Guy number one fails to forgive guy number two $17,000 after he himself was forgiven $1.2 million. So our Lord is clearly making this analogy to what God forgave you. God's forgiven you $1.2 million for your sins, but then you can't relieve a debt of $17,000? Now, granted, there might be a few of you out there, probably not many, that might hear that and say, but you know what? My neighbor hurt me more than I've ever hurt Jesus. Well, the reason that's not true is because you and I have infinitely hurt God where we've only finitely hurt others. How? How? Because God is infinitely good, and every sin against him is somewhat an infinite offense. St. Alphonsus Liguori once wrote, A single venial sin is more displeasing to God than all the good works we can perform. But you know, since our little human minds can't wrap itself around this idea of infinity, Jesus, in that parable in Matthew 18, gave us smaller numbers. Again, showing you that God has forgiven you $1.2 million, and he's just asking you to forgive, after that, 17000 And if you don't, well, this is his response to you. Matthew 18, verses 32 to 34. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. The key words there, if you're thinking of not forgiving someone, is our Lord saying to you, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. So hopefully you see how all this ties into CPX today of forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Quite a prayer to pray if we won't forgive others. Let's talk about forgiveness at the very practical level here, because I think sometimes after hearing all this, people just feel guilty when they look at maybe how poorly they've forgiven others i want to give you some encouragement at the practical level one thing i personally believe and i might be wrong about this and i'm open to a correction if you want to leave this in the youtube comments but i personally believe that we can sometimes be in a state of forgiveness towards someone who's hurt us while there's still some anger remaining in our emotions now granted perfect forgiveness probably means the dissipation of all anger in your heart eventually And of course, it's very, very rare we should ever live out that anger. I think we traditionalists point to Jesus in the temple probably too frequently when we realize his whole life was gentleness. Um, But sometimes the devil can kick up emotions of anger in our heart when we're not acting on that anger and when we are truly praying for our enemies. And I think the devil can sometimes trick us into thinking we haven't forgiven someone just because there can be some remnants of anger in our heart and i don't think that's that big of a deal why do i say this because god looks at the will more than he looks at your emotions we know that for sure again hopefully all anger leaves us before death but i think too many people today think they haven't forgiven their enemy if the devil just kicks some dust up in their hearts for past wounds that's not true if you're praying for someone i believe there's a 90 percent chance you've forgiven them now They may not be ready to reconcile to you. Your enemy may not be ready to reconcile to you, but you can still forgive him. I always say forgiveness is a one-way street, but reconciliation is a two-way street. In other words, you can forgive someone who did something terrible to you, but you don't have to trust them again until they make amends and apologize and seek reconciliation while really owning what they did. And even then, you're not required to trust an enemy again, especially if he betrayed you. Because being Christian doesn't mean we trash all boundaries or like, for example, trust a kidnapper with your kids again. That's not Christian forgiveness. Boundaries still exist for the Christian. I mean, think about it. Jesus never would have said love your enemies if he didn't expect you to have enemies. So the idea you have enemies, that's not anti-Christian. A Christian, a Catholic out there probably has some enemies. Just look around at how half of our countries lost their minds or maybe proven they lost their minds a long time ago in serious sin. It seems today that for anyone who stands up for the truth today, even doing so in charity and clarity, they're going to have a lot of people hate them, a lot of enemies. And we Orthodox Christians are not called to make false peace with them just so we can feel more quote unquote Christian by the end of the day and saying we don't have enemies. No, Jesus said love your enemies because he expects you to have some, but not to act on that in anger, of course. This idea that the Christian has no enemies, it's stupid and it's not based on the gospel because, again, if you speak or live the truth, people will hate you because they hated Jesus first. Now, that doesn't mean we go looking for a fight. But on the other hand, it also means that if you've been betrayed, you don't have to trust that person again. You still have to pray for that person, but you don't have to trust that person again. So let's look at one final topic, that of boundaries. Okay, pretty random example here, but follow me down this rabbit hole for a minute. Imagine you are a person who doesn't believe in divorce, probably most of the listeners out there. But then your spouse leaves you and begins to become abusive to you and your kids. And then you fear for your children's safety. And then your spouse starts to fight for custody of those children. Now, again, you don't believe in divorce and... You're praying your spouse convert to Christ and be saved. But even amidst that, that doesn't mean you have to be a doormat. Christian forgiveness does not mean you have to be a doormat. As I said in a recent blog post, a narcissist, if you really study it from the point of view of modern psychology, is not a vain person, but someone who, because she can't control her own life, tries to control others. And if you've never read my blog, it'll be seen on the closing bumpers, Padre Peregrino. But anyway, I'm convinced that more now than any time in history, there are mountains of narcissists trying to manipulate both their enemies and even their loved ones. Unfortunately, I've discovered that the only way to deal with narcissists is to cut them off. It doesn't mean we hate them. It doesn't mean we want them to go to hell. In fact, I pray frequently for their salvation. But they have no access to my life because I have to maintain boundaries. That's why, for example, on Twitter, I've had to block all these people. So you can stand up for your rights and love your enemies, all the while not letting them have access to you. Okay, two closing notes for you. This today is a good example of a video you could send to someone who's maybe not subscribed to my channel. They don't have to listen to all the previous CPXs to kind of get the basics on forgiveness. And then finally, the best talk I've ever heard on forgiveness is The Hidden Power of Forgiveness by Jeff Cavens. It's $3.50 on MP3 at Lighthouse Media, so again, Jeff Kaven's The Hidden Power of Forgiveness is the very best talk I've ever heard on forgiveness if you're struggling with forgiving anybody, and I would highly encourage that. It's a little bit more encouraging than this one. I kind of went into boundaries a little heavier than I thought. So if you really want the great insights on in how to forgive someone, go listen to Jeff Kaven's talk. And please say an Our Father for me, et benedictio Dei omnipotentis, pachi suferi et spiritus santi, descendit, super vos et manet semper. Amen.